Welcome to Terminal Talk. Back to school. Frank, quiet back there. Welcome to our second edition of uh, Terminal Talk that goes back to school. Our topic today is MQ, and we have two excellent mats to talk about it. Welcome, Professor Matt Lemming and Matt Sunley, and uh, take it away, guys. Yeah, th- thanks, Frank. So, so I'm, I'm, I guess, Professor Matt number one, talking to you about messaging, and I, you know, I really want to start about what's the business need for it because I'm the business guy. Um, my other Matt is the more technical one. So, let me talk about the business side. So, messaging is not, I guess, always the most visible technology in an infrastructure, but it is one of the most important. And when I think about messaging. For me, it ties to like what's the needs for connectivity in the business environment. And one of the things I would say is connectivity is really one of the key challenges for businesses today, probably more than ever it has been before because of so many digital transformation projects that, that, that companies are rolling out. And I guess if you think about modern IT environments, they really are very hybrid. Like most customers I talk to, have such a variety of different systems, applications, platforms, and they all need to interact with each other. And really, it's come about because they've had lots of years of investments, different systems spanning technology changes, and they're all valuable to them. And those environments have kind of grown organically and become very diverse. And those same customers tell me that like change is happening all the time. Their lines of business are constantly saying, I need more, I need this transformation project, I need that one, I've got a mobile solution, I've got a cloud solution, what about something social? And they're all being rolled out, and they all need to be integrated into their existing infrastructure really quickly to capture those new market opportunities they're seeing. And what messaging is giving you is like an approach that provides connectivity to all those applications, those services, those systems that need to communicate with each other. And that that kind of leads to a very obvious question that always comes up straight away, why can't you just handle connectivity in the applications that need it, right? It's just a matter of code. Let's just get in there. Let's code our way out of it. And like to some extent, that that's true. You, you can do it that way. But what we tend to find happens is that if you take that sort of do-it-yourself approach to connectivity, it does cause a number of challenges. Like the, the first one being you're starting to put connectivity logic all over the place. You're fragmenting it across different applications, and that really sort of over time makes it inconsistent and difficult to manage. You're like, you know, we've got this application talking another one. We'll, we'll, we'll code that connection. And then, oh, hang on, we need to change that because it also needs to talk to a, a third application and so on. And it just over time, you get more and more um, you know, brittle connections and it becomes very expensive to change those and maintain them. Mm-hmm. And if you're using something like TCP IP, you've also got a very synchronous communication style where you kind of need both applications to be available at the same time, and you've got that tight coupling. So what will then happen is, let's say one side of it fails, that will then affect the other applications to which it's tightly coupled, meaning you could have a failure in one place that affects, you know, it spreads out. It, it spreads along all those connections to other parts of the solution and you know, ultimately may bring the whole solution down. And all the while, you're spending that time worrying about, you know, what's going on in the communication layer. You're not worrying about... What new, you know, innovative, cool business logic are we creating that are ultimately going to make those applications drive the business forward? So really, that's kind of like the, the core value for why messaging matters and why you'd want it in your environment. So given that you like, you feel like messaging is important, you know, what does it really do? So that's the, you know, the, the, the next thing. What's a messaging solution giving you? 
And it's it's really designed, I guess, to take that pain away from the applications. It's providing a custom service to facilitate that connectivity and do it in a sort of consistent, reliable, flexible way and taking that responsibility away from the applications and the application developer. And normally messaging is a different paradigm to, to what I talked about before in terms of it's, it's an asynchronous communication. So you're putting messages, which are basically packets of application data, on queues. And these queues are like intermediaries between the applications, and they store the data until it's needed by the receiving application. And so a key benefit of that is, you know, the apps don't need to be available at the same time. You know, much like you don't have to be there to receive an email or a text message, you know, it would be pretty annoying if, you know, to, to receive an email, you had to be on the other end ready to receive it at the time. Instead, you can, you know, pick those up later, respond when you're ready. And asynchronous messaging is very like that. If the application's down, it doesn't prevent the communication happening. And the other thing, of course, is applications are not blocked waiting for a response. You don't have to sit there at one end saying, you know, has, has the message arrived? Has the message arrived? I can't really move on until I know that. It's my responsibility you're, you're saying, no, I'll give that to the messaging solution. It's their responsibility. And I can continue to do useful work and check back every so often, you know, has a response turned up or, you know, can I continue? And it, that sort of thing also makes scaling more simple. So if you need more work to be processed, you just simply add more applications. So if you think back to like what I said about the DIY approach, like using messaging means that applications aren't tightly coupled to each other. You've got that messaging solution in the middle so it's very flexible then. You can add applications. You can take them away. You can move them around. And if you add a new connection, you can do that quickly without impacting existing ones. And then if you go back to what I said at the start about hybrid environments, messaging is perfect for hybrid environments because it's that consistent means of communications. So, for example, if you've got apps in the cloud, maybe needing to connect to apps running on-premises in your data center, you, know, you can do that with messaging. You've got that consistent communication fabric. Another thing I'll briefly mention is like there are different styles of communication that you normally get with a messaging provider, and it gives you a bit of flexibility about how you build your architecture. So you might, for example, use a point-to-point -point method where you want to have a conversational communication between two applications. You know, I, I sent you a payment. You need to acknowledge you received that payment. We commit uh, that that payment's been received, so we don't do it more than once. Or you might have something that's more like a publish-subscribe model where one application is making data available to a number of subscribers, and each of those could maybe process that information in a different way. So both of those sorts of things are possible with messaging solutions. Uh, oh, I see you've got your hand raised, Jeff. Have you got a question? Yes, yes, I do. Uh, thank you for noticing me, Professor Matt. Um, so I, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm kind of framing this contextually the right way. So we're not just talking about messaging as like a vague concept or like a thing that you can do. We're actually talking about like like there's there's databases, there's files, and there's something else called messaging. Yeah, abs absolutely. There's it's a component of your um, of your overall solution that's like providing that glue between, say, your databases, your your transaction processing systems, or your cloud services. That's saying all of these things can talk to get together. What you know, what you know, no matter what individual interfaces they have, no matter what platforms and environments they run in. Here's a fabric that they can communicate across. Okay. So in terms of IBM MQ, I want to talk about what that makes that special. What's the secret sauce in IBM MQ? You know, given that I've you know sold you on messaging and, and why you need messaging, why would you choose IBM MQ? And you know, really, 
IBM MQ is IBM's sort of premier messaging solution. It's also actually the market leading offering in enterprise messaging and has been for you know many years. And it's really incredibly well established in all sorts of industries spanning every geography. So for example, like 85% of the Fortune 100 companies use MQ, 75% of the Fortune 500. And then if you look industry by industry, you've got all of the top 50 banks globally, but not just financial services. It's also used by the vast majority of leading airlines, car manufacturers, healthcare providers, and, and you know, continuing on. So it's MQ is really trusted with the business critical communication for all of these companies. And the reason for that is it has a set of characteristics that make it really ideally suited for very demanding use cases for, me- for messaging. So, it, for example, it's got n- that near universal connectivity we've been talking about, and you know we just discussed with Jeff. So, MQ allows you to virt- connect virtually any type of application together. It has very broad platform support. It's also very secure. You know, if you're having all of these connections between your own company systems, different you know intercompany communications, security is you know really key, and you need to make sure the right users are allowed to perform the right set of operations on the messaging resources. You need encryption when passing over the network. You need encryption at rest and so on. It has all of that. It's very flexible. You, you know, Existing MQ configurations, you can update them, you can redeploy them, and you don't have to change code in existing and working MQ applications, which is one of the key um, value props of having a messaging solution. But along with that, it's really scalable. So you can scale MQ horizontally, you can scale it vertically, and it really allows MQ infrastructure to deal with workload demands that can be very spiky, very bursty, uh, you know, or constantly high. So, you know, whether it's the end of the day, it's end of month payroll processing, perhaps it's a seasonal peak in retail, and so on. Our customers rely on it, IBM MQ to to do that. And the other reason MQ is very popular is that that breadth of platform support that I mentioned. Is, is something that's always expanding and evolving in the industry. And MQ doesn't stand still on that. So, you know, th- there might be a set of traditional, both IBM, non-IBM hardware platforms, MQ supports, but it's broadened over time. It's evolved. So we've got an appliance form factor. We've containerized MQ, so you can run it in a variety of public and private clouds from things like Red Hat OpenShift, or maybe it's other clouds, Kubernetes services, to public clouds like Azure or AWS or Alibaba or, of course, IBM Cloud. And we've also actually got a managed SaaS service on IBM Cloud and AWS. So if you want IBM to manage your MQ infrastructure for you, that's also an option. One final thing on on, on this bit is, you know, we have a very incremental approach to delivering how we enhance MQ to our customers. I'm talking about us always evolving, and we do provide options to consume MQ in different ways, depending on how our customers Uh, want to consume capabilities. So we have long-term support releases and we also have continuous delivery releases. So if you're a a customer who prefers to maintain their environment over a long period, maybe just applying maintenance fixes and and you're you're valuing that stability of environment, then then we've got an option for you. Um, And if you're a, a customer who really wants the latest and greatest all the time, I want to consume new things from IBM incrementally, into my environment as they're released, uh, you know, you can do that as well. And and using MQ is is simply a question of creating a network. So we have these um, these things called queue managers. You would create those queue managers uh, around your environment where your applica- where your applications and services and systems are. 
they will then connect together to create that that communications mesh that then can transport that data. And those applications then can be written in a variety of different programming languages to suit the skills of the developer. And then you deploy them to either produce or consume messages using the MQ network. Oh, I see, uh, Jeff, you have another question. Is support for for MQ given through like a series of libraries, or is it something that um, you know you you give me and I you know bring into my code? So I'm assuming that we're, when we're talking about applications, we're pr- predominantly talking about user written applications, and there's like a set of libraries or frameworks that I can use to you know to hop on board this messaging train that's going on. Um, how, how do I um, how do I bake that into my code? Or do I just reference it like it's you know a database or a web server that's running somewhere? Yeah, sure. I, I guess there's there's different options depending on what makes sense to you. So we do have like client libraries with MQ. So you can write an MQ client application in in a different you know there's different options. There's um, Java, C, um, .NET. Depending on your environment that you're in, um, different client libraries you would use to 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 write those applications. We also have a like a RESTful interface, so you can do you can do MQ messaging via REST if you you just want to do simple um, JSON over HTTP. I don't know whether assistant Matt number two you want to add to that or um, sure. I, I like the fact I'm a, now assistant Matt number two. I was thinking of myself more of a professor personally, but let's go with assistant. Um, so so I, I actually think I, I think your answer was was pretty great. I think really we have a wide uh, number of wide range of languages that we support and you gave a you know you gave the list there and i think really then it's a question of what language type are you using as to whether it's just a set of libraries you call or something you sort of you know compile and link with so you know it it, it basically depends but at the end of the day we provide a set of apis and you know if you're using a java api then you just put the the, the relevant um apis and classes um, on your class path, and you drive them. Um, if you're using C, then we've got a number of language stops, we call them, which you can pile into uh, into your application and then run against. And you can switch, as Matt said, between these things called client libraries where you connect into the into your queue managers over the network. And there's also another ver- version um, where you connect into the queue managers cross-memory, so that's faster and useful where your applications are co-located with your with your messaging infrastructure. Um, but from the application perspective, the APIs are the same. It's just whether you um, you connect directly or over the network, and that's kind of transparent to the application. And then the last one's REST, where, of course, that's literally just a, an endpoint you can go and call with, um, you know, from basically any programming language you want to, to run in. So hopefully that answers your question, um, student Jeff. Yes, absolutely. I'm satisfied. So also see Frank has a question. Yeah, I'm trying to get my mind around using REST, uh, which is very synchronous, um, to uh, a model which is asynchronous. Is, is it now I have a separate server that's kind of talking to that queue manager or talking to a particular uh, queue? How does that work? <laughs> Shall I take this one, Matt, number one? Professor Matt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm bitter. I'm not bitter at all. Um, so actually, I do talk a little bit. <laughs> I do talk a little bit about REST later. Um, but the, the basic way it works with MQ is we have the core queue manager, which is, 
sitting there. And when we use our REST APIs, we basically provide um, a, a, a web server, which is based on WebSphere Liberty Profile. And you start that up and it sits in front of the queue manager and exposes a number of APIs. And one of those is a messaging REST API. And there's also administrative APIs and a web um, user interface as well. And you are right. It is a sort of an interesting paradigm where you are going from synchronous REST to asynchronous messaging. Um, and I think it's one of those things where, you know, REST is useful because it's a ubiquitous um, pattern that you can drive from any programming language that supports REST and pretty much everything does. But it doesn't have the richness that you get with the with the proper MQ libraries, which are really asynchronous. So, so basically, what what you get is the ability to send a message to MQ um, via HTTP, and you know once it's sent, you, your your REST API call is done. So it's still it's still asynchronous. You know, in that 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 would work the same if you were using a, a, a like the C API. You know, you 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 run a command to send the message to a queue that happens and you're done and that that actually works the same with regards to to, to both the approaches the the more traditional language apis and the rest apis that that's kind of the same um okay so professor matt number one was there anything else you were going to say <laughs> oh they're fighting yeah this was this was a mistake we we should have thought through this better. <laughs> we, we haven't we haven't predetermined the pecking order it's definitely a mistake. We've pitted them against one another. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I think I think I think I've, I think I've been um, I, I've taken up too much of the class's time so far. So I think you should you should demonstrate your your skills on on a deeper understanding of NQ on ZOS, which okay. is what you know we really care about. Okay. All right. Well, so so what I want to talk about now is is, is uh, MQ on ZOS. So as as Professor Matt number one said, MQ runs on a <laughs> I'm, I'm really not bitter on a wide variety of platforms okay? <laughs> and the key aspect is the fact that actually messaging with mq is the same regardless of which platform you run on so so the concepts are the same um the apis are the same but of course on those different platforms we really want to make sure we take advantage of the capability of the platforms and that's particularly relevant on zos so what we actually have is we effectively have two code bases for the MQ product. There's the distributed code base, which is everything that's not ZOS, and then there's a ZOS code base. And so we have a um, basically a code base that has been written specifically for running on ZOS, and it's very very heavily optimized for the ZOS platform. So we you know it's, it's all written in something called plx which is an ibm internal language gets compiled down to assembler um we spend a lot of time optimizing it basing on how based on how we know the processes on zos work so we work within the cache line requirements to make sure you don't end up cache flip-flopping and all that sort of good stuff so it's very very optimized for z um and actually, if you look at the numbers, then um, running a single queue manager on Z15, we can do about 1.5 million non-persistent non messages per second. So we, we go very, very fast. And that's because we really understand how the hardware works. And we, we go to a lot of effort to you know, perfect, perfect the code and tune it for the, the machines as they come along and um, keep improving each iteration over iteration. 
Now, a key part of MQ is allowing applications wherever they are to, to be able to communicate with other applications. And so in, in ZOS, that often means applications such as Kix or CICS, um, if you're over in America, uh, communicating with each other. Hmm. But of course, those applications might be communicating with um, applications running on distributed platforms as well. And um, when we look at what we've got on ZOS, we really, really have tight integration with all the different subsystems. And, and that's provided by a set of things called um, adapters. Um, and, ah, Frank, student Frank, I see you've got a question. What is it? Uh, yes, cool technical professor, Matt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you said that we're there were uh, two different code bases. Uh, does that mean stuff comes out first in the distributed space and then and then you guys have to rush to catch up on the ZOS side? So that's a great question. So, so, so no, what tends to happen is it, it does depend exactly what we're doing. So um, sometimes features come out on ZOS first um, and then make it into distributed short, shortly after. Sometimes it comes the other way around. And then quite often we try and get them out on both platforms at the same time, which is obviously the most desirable thing. But it does tend to depend on exactly what the customers on the individual platforms are looking for um, most. So for example, on ZOS, there's often a set of common Z requirements. So if we look at Z dataset encryption, that was a request that is very obviously very specific to ZOS. And we've implemented on that on MQ for ZOS, but obviously we don't need that on, on the distributed MQ. So it, it really depends, but we do try and keep, we do try very hard to try and keep the both platforms consistent in their capabilities, but it does sometimes end up that one thing comes out um, on distributed first or one thing comes out on Z first and then we catch up. And um, that's especially the case now that we've got this continuous delivery release model that um, Professor Matt number one mentioned, um, where we bring function out every four months or so because because the teams are working to these slightly different schedules. So something might come out in one CD release earlier on distributed and then the CD release after on Z. So, you know, we try and keep them consistent, but it doesn't always work out like that, I guess. Um, so what was I talking about? I was talking about adapters, wasn't I? So basically adapters are, are, are tight integration with the individual um, subsystems running on Z. So we've got specialized support for Kicks, um, which includes tying into Kicks transaction integrity. We've got the same sort of thing for running inside IMS. We have support for DB2. And of course, there's support for Batch and RRS and also the USS side of things. So if you want to run a Java application running in USS um, and connecting to MQ using the the JMS APIs, you absolutely can. So we've got a really wide range uh, of support for the different um, environments you might run um, on ZOS. And of course, we also have support for ZOS Connect Enterprise Edition. If you want to kind of expose um, a, a set of MQQs as a REST API and hide the fact you're doing messaging, then you can do that with ZOS Connect Enterprise Edition, just like you might do if you're doing something similar for um, a CICS transaction. Now, one of the benefits of having a code base that's designed specifically for ZOS is that, um, you know, we really do work to take advantage of all of the new capabilities coming out um, on the platform. So, for example, if you want to make use of PPRC or Metro Mirror to synchronously replicate your, your 
data when it's written to disk, and of course MQ writes quite a lot of data to disk as it's processing, then we, we just make use of that by default. Um, and then we exploit extra capabilities, for example, Z Hyperwrite to um, improve the, the synchronous disk replication performance that you um, you get with PPRC. So we you know we we do a lot of work to get as close into the operating system and the the I/O capabilities as we can. Some customers just run a single queue manager um, on ZOS or a single queue manager on distributed. But um, MQ for ZOS is also um, parallel Sysplex enabled, which means we can provide extreme resilience by actually making use of coupling facilities and putting our messaging data there. And that's known as a queue sharing group. So normally what would happen if you've got a single queue manager, that single queue manager owns its queues. And, you know, when a message comes in, it gets put in the queue. And then to get that message again, you have to go and connect into that individual queue manager. With a queue sharing group, what we can do is actually have a set of queue managers or kind of a cluster of queue managers really running across um, a sysplex and they can collaborate collaborate to do messaging so what they do is they put messages in something called a shared queue which actually lives in a coupling facility and that means you can access that shared queue from any queue manager in the queue sharing group and that provides um, a number of benefits one is scalability because you now can spread your workload over multiple lpars and you know basically keep pushing the limits on the number of messages you can push through that system. And it also provides extreme resilience because if one of the um, queue managers in the queue sharing group temporarily fails, then the workload can shift to one of the other available queue managers and they recover any in-state or in-flight data, roll it back or commit it as, a, as necessary, and you can kind of carry on. So it's the most resilient um, form of MQ there is because of this queue sharing group capability. And then the last thing I'll, I'll talk about briefly is actually the fact that, um, you know, Z, as well as the, the core um, general process processors, also has a whole load of specialized processors, which we also exploit. So, for example, we make use of the compression co-processors on, on the hardware, and that's obviously been enhanced quite a lot with Z15. So when we use message compression, we offload that onto the um, the, the compression co-processor that which speeds things up and makes the compression cheaper. And we also do similar things when it comes to um, crypto capabilities, which is where I'm going to move on to next. So Professor Matt number one mentioned very briefly that, you know, security is very important to MQ. And, you know, it should be obvious why that is so important. We are moving around your data and data is, the, you know, incredibly valuable. You don't want anyone to get access to your data, right? Especially when you're moving it between nodes in a, in a distributed um computing infrastructure. So MQ has lots and lots of security capabilities and, and they kind of build up into layers. So the most simple um, part of it is the basic authentication and authorization capability, i.e. proving who you are and based on us knowing who you are, giving you access to only the set of things that you should have access to. And so that's on that on MQ uh, for ZOS is all built off RACF. So we have a whole load of RACF um, classes and profiles that define who's got access to what. Um, and, you know, when a, an application tries to connect to MQ, we go and take that that user ID and the password and validate with RACF that that, that user is who, who they say they are. 
And then we've got auditing to make sure we can actually track who's doing what, who's interacting with what message, who's changing which bit of configuration, and all those good things. So we really know what's going on. The next level up is actually making sure that as data is being moved over the network, that we protect that data while it's in flight over the network. And that's done using TLS, so transport level security. And that's basically common capability across MQ. Um, and we've had this ability for many years. So we keep consistent with the, the changing of the, the TLS specs. So we currently now support TLS 1.3 and, and earlier versions as well. So that's a recent enhancement support for TLS 3. And then the next level, I think, is really the kind of the crown jewels um, when it comes to, to data protection. And that is per message uh, protection, regardless of where that message is. And that's something called advanced message security or AMS. And the idea here is that some of the messages that you're sending into MQ are so valuable, you want to make sure they are protected for the entire lifetime of their moving movement um, through your MQ infrastructure. And so what you do is you basically, um, and, you, and the key thing here is sometimes whether the value of messages changes over time. So it might be that when you originally wrote your application sending these messages, actually you didn't think they were that valuable. So you didn't bother writing application cap uh, code to actually encrypt them. And then later on, you actually realize mm -hmm. that data is quite important. Um, I think I should be encrypting it. And then it's a real load of effort to have to go and rewrite your application to provide that encryption in the application layer. And this is where MQ can come to the rescue because AMS is basically something you can switch on on a per queue basis without changing your application. And when you switch it on, what happens is basically when a message comes into MQ, we'll take that message and encrypt and or sign it. And then that message stays protected as it hops through the MQ network until a, an application comes and consumes that message, at which point um, we'll go and decrypt it and verify the signature and then pass it on to the, the receiving application. That function there is another one that actually makes use of the Z um, crypto hardware to ensure that's as fast as possible. Um, so it looks like I've got a, a question from Professor Number One, Matt. What is it? Not, 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 not a question. Just, an, just an observation. Just on advanced message security, and, and you know, you might think um, the cool technical professor uh, is an MQ expert, and maybe he helped you set up your MQ system and and has admin authority to all of your queue managers and so on. The great thing about this advanced message security is, you know, he's not still, you know, even with all that authority, not going to be able to read the messages going through because it's not just encrypted over the network. It's not just encrypted at rest, but even while it's being processed that message in the queue manager, um, you know, the the, the, the cool technical professor couldn't dump down the address space and read that message, even though he's got full authority as an administrator. That's how cool it is. It is pretty cool stuff. Thank you, Professor Number One. And then the, the last thing I wanted to talk about on, on security was data set encryption. So this is just another another part of the security um, set of security levels you, you get with MQ. So basically, ZOS supports policy-based data set encryption. And that means that it's very easy now with MQ to say, all of my, my MQ data sets, whether they're the logs or, or page sets or, or anything like that, you can basically have a single policy that says, whenever MQ writes data to disk, then it gets automatically encrypted and therefore no one can go and steal the, you know, the, the data off disk and, and get at the message data. So we do do lots of different things to protect 
um, you know, your your messaging data as it routes through the QMAG. So it's a really important set of capabilities. And I think uh, one of the things that makes MQ such a such a good product is how secure you can make it. Now, exactly where you go, whether you lock it all the way down and have AMS and data set encryption really is up to you. It depends how how secure and how how locked down you want your data to be. But all of the capabilities are there. As well as just being about message transfers, a couple of extra things I wanted to talk about um, with MQ as well, some, some other capabilities. So um, what we also have with MQ is something called managed file transfer. And this is a sort of an extra optional capability that's built on top of um, the core MQ product. And the idea of, of managed file transfer is it provides a reliable, traceable file transfer capability built on top of MQ. Because um, as Professor Matt number one was saying at the beginning, customers typically have networks of queue managers that are distributed throughout their, their enterprise. And, um, and they're used for applications to talk regardless of whereabouts in the, net, in, in the enterprise they are. And, you know, guess what? It turns out that sometimes it's not just applications that want to talk to each other. Sometimes you want to route your files around your network as well. And lots and lots of uh, businesses actually, you know, their infrastructure works by moving files around. And one way of doing that, or the older way of doing that, would to be think do things um, with FTP or SFTP and actually script the file transfers. But that's quite tricky to do and there's no auditing and when things go wrong you have to figure out that it's gone wrong and retry it and manage file transfers there to solve that set of problems so yes student frank you've got your hand raised thank you uh cool technical professor matt uh that in in that model um because uh, a lot of people have landing zones so we'll ftp into a landing zone or something like that would, would this allow me to not have to do that? Can I trigger stuff with with MQ as well? Yes. Um, when when files get yes, transferred? Yes, that's, that's a great a great question. So so managed file transfer basically supports a, a couple of different models. One is file-to-file -file transfers, i.e. transfer a file from one machine to another one. Or we also support file-to-message transfer, where you kind of pick up a file from one machine and then send it um to a queue and then it gets routed through the system and then something takes that message off off the queue and does something with it. And the way we do these transfers, you've got you've got a number of choices. One is like manually triggering a transfer by saying, I know there's a file here, I'm going to run a command to actually go and route that file to a different node on my network. Um, and that's fine for sort of perhaps when you want to script environments and uh, or do ad hoc transfers. But what is very, very common is to actually use um, um, a managed file transfer trigger. And what that basically does is, I think what you're asking, it sits there and monitors a directory or a set of files. And when a file comes along and ends up in that directory, what, what will happen is it will trigger a transfer at that point and move the file to wherever it should have, um, you know, wherever it should go based on the template. So if a, file, a particular file turns up in a particular directory, then the managed file transfer capability will pick, uh, you know, detect that file. It will then initiate a transfer and kind of the, the file gets sucked up into managed file transfer and routed through MQ. And um, I've realized I didn't actually say how this stuff works. And the basic idea with managed file transfer is each file, um, when, when the transfer starts, that file gets read into um, the managed file transfer capability. And we kind of 
of split it apart into into chunks of bytes and those bytes go into messages and the messages then get routed through um, the MQ infrastructure to the to the target node and then there's this managed file transfer capability on the target node that basically sits there and reads in this sets of messages and reconstitutes it into a file and then writes it down to the file system and and the reason why this is better than things like file transfer uh, FTP is the fact that um, for starters, we've got a very resilient capability there just in the MQ infrastructure. So the messages get routed through, they're reliable, they don't get lost. And that allows us to recover from failures and kind of get halfway through a file transfer, something goes wrong and we'll carry on. But we also provide auditing capabilities. So we'll say, you know, file this file was transferred at this time and it was um, sent over there and it all worked fine. You can kind of track it and log it and understand what's going wrong or, or gone right, of course. So there's lots and lots of good stuff there. And um, given that we're talking about the ZOS environment, managed file transfer supports both U, uh, USS, so Unix System Services, um, and data sets as well. And you can even take that data from, from USS or a data set and actually transfer it to, to a distributed environment, for example, um, uh, Linux, and actually, you know, transition between the ZOS world and the distributed world as well. So some cool stuff. Um, and then another thing we also have, which is another capability that's built off MQ, is, is QREP. So this is basically replicating um, DB2 for ZOS data um, and the, the, the logs from that environment um, over to other DB2 um, databases running on, on different systems. And that actually uh, runs off MQ. So the idea here is you've got your primary DB2 environment running in one data center and you want to replicate that data off to another data center so that you've basically got a near real-time copy of your data that you can run queries against. And, and in order to route that vast amount of data, then we've got this system called QREP, which basically routes the messages over MQ between the two environments. So there's lots and lots of cool stuff you can do with MQ. And of course, you can then build up your applications to, um, to exploit it as well. So yes, Professor Matt, number one. So, so, so I think that's great information, but I do notice that a lot of the students have got their heads on the desk. Matt, at this point, I think we might have overloaded things a little. So I, I think we should wake them up with some homework now, Matt. Okay. <laughs> Feel free to go with the homework. Or do you want me to say the homework? No, I can, I, I can go over the homework if you like. So I guess there's lots of things you could do. If we've piqued your interest today in terms of learning a bit more about MQ, getting into a bit more detail, um, then there's lots of places you can look. So you can look on developer.ibm.com. There's a lot of get, getting started articles on there that you can go and check out. And you know, most of them are written by, um, by Cool Technical Matt, but I'm not bitter at all about that. It's fine. Get his um, viewing numbers up. Um, there's also a um, IBM Developer uh, MQ Developer Essentials badge, so you can actually go to our Learn MQ site. If you if you uh, use your favourite search engine, look up Learn MQ. You can go and find that site, and there's a lot of tutorials on there, a lot of conceptual information, but also there's a badge. You know, like you've got to have a badge these days. So got to have a badge. Exactly. You, so go and check that out. It's uh, it's well worth having, adding to your, your resume and so on. If you want to try MQ, and you know, obviously you, you might have a IBM Z environment, you can get MQ installed and try trying on. But as as, as technical cool Matt said, 
the externals of the product are uh, you know fairly consistent you know irrespective of the platform so one pretty easy thing you can do is go and get a um, mq on cloud account so you can try our our managed software as a service for free with the light plan on ibm cloud so you can drive 10k messages a month for no charge with a free environment on ibm cloud and like why wouldn't you why wouldn't you give it a try try some application development drive that into the cloud or alternatively if you if you've just got to have that software on your on your laptop then go and get ibm mq for developers you know free developer edition free download get hold of it play with it you know we want to see next time we're in class i want to see your creations see what you've been able to build with with mq for developers Professors, um, both both cool and otherwise, um, I've, I noticed that uh, it, class is almost over, um, and uh, I have a lot of homework I need to work on. Uh, can, can can we go? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I think you've been very good. Yes, you can go. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> just just make sure you do. Make it. Sure I want you the homework the- done by Monday, okay? I don't want any excuses the dog ate it or anything like that (laughs) well thank you so much uh, both Professor Matts for for coming by and uh, and teaching us all about messaging and MQ and uh, hey this uh, I I learned a lot and I'm I'm not just uh, sucking up to try to get a better grade (laughs) thank you thanks for listening to Terminal Talk Back to School If there's something you'd like to see covered in future episodes, drop us an email at contact at terminaltalk.net or come find us at Twitter at Terminal Talk. For Terminal Talk, I'm Professor King.